I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Maze, could you add like a Brady Bunch canned laugh track if we wanted? Or is is that... No, that's beyond my capabilities. (laughs) (laughs) Guys, do you remember a bet? that I said was my favorite one before the season that I made. It was about the Spurs. Was there only one bet you said you were, was your favorite? Because I feel like you have a couple of favorites every six to eight hours. It's sort of like how I tell you that you're my favorite friend. <laughs> but in reality, you're right. There are like seven or eight other people I say that to. Do we really need to vet your bet? Do we need to? If you remember, I took, will the Spurs have a winning streak longer than three and a half games at some point this season? So already they had a three game winning streak It was all on the line against the Timberwolves. They went down. But now they're back up to two games. They play tonight home against the Raptors. And if they win that, it's all on the line again Friday night, home against the Clippers. Can they do this before Thanksgiving and and, and get me this this cash? Keldon Johnson, too good, man. If they really want Victor Wembanyama, they can't play Keldon anymore or some other Duke player on their team. Can't do it. Yeah, but what if the guys on the team are too young to realize that and are having fun. There's three teenagers on that team, five more guys who are 23 or younger. Keldon Johnson's breaking out. Like, what if they just like what's going on and start playing well? I mean, they have the lowest, right? The over, so lowest over under for wins in the whole league at 22 and a half. They already have five wins. It's crazy. I, I don't know. Can you, can you train them to be worse effectively? The mistake I made was not taking all those bets for those teams. The Jazz are six and two. The the Thunder already have a four game winning streak. They're four and three. Uh the Blazers are five and one. I should have threw I should have thrown all my money on all the teams we thought were tanking and I'd be a, a very rich man right now. I never expected to see a run and gun Spurs team with uh Greg Popovich coaching, but they're one of the top teams in uh offensive pace in terms of seconds getting into their first shot. They're also, um, I think, ninth in three-point attempts, which is crazy. That is the key. They haven't ranked that high in at least 10 years. If you go back and look, I mean, these Popovich teams. But, you know, Keldon Johnson, you mentioned, he's up to nine threes a game. And these are attempts we're talking about. We're not talking about hot shooting or randomly effective long-range shooting to start the year, even though a bunch of their guys are shooting over 40% from three. We're talking about taking a lot of bombs and that's something different but this is this is the story of the well, at least the on-court story of the nba season so far right is the what, what were you calling them the dive five tom like yeah why are these tanking teams killing it utah's an interesting case because they have one of the best deepest rosters in the nba they don't have a superstar wait wait wait! one of the best rosters in the nba depth wise they have like 10 good players wow Wow, flashbacks to my prediction that Utah would contend this year. I just want to bring that out. Of, <laughs> just want to bring that out of the closet. Yeah, that's what you meant. What a year late. Don't don't try trying to explain again why I was wrong. Just <laughs> just bask in the winning atmosphere, okay? Eight to shoot. Paul the runner. Loose ball. It's good. With four point four to go. Shannon. Don't want to fall. Shannon from the corner. It's over. Gonzaga. 
cry goes up both far and near for underdog. 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 Joe Namath, number 12, has been the one big sidelight. He's come down here and he says the Jets are going to win. In fact, he doesn't even predict it. He says, I guarantee a Jet victory. Oh my kid, I ain't even in the guys' league. In this lifetime, you don't have to prove nothing to nobody except yourself. Underdog. Underdog. They're bigger, faster, stronger, more experienced, and on paper, they're just better. Oh my goodness! The longest shot has won the Kentucky Derby! Red strike and a stunning, unbelievable upset! Shock it all in college basketball! Underdog! Underdog. I expect you boys to go out there and not take this team lightly because I promise you they're going to come at you with everything they've got. What is that going the distance with Creed? 11 seconds. You've got 10 seconds. The countdown going on right now. Morrow up to Schultz. Five seconds left in the game. You believe in miracles? Yes! By George, the dream is alive. Speed of lightning, roar of thunder, fighting all who rob or plunder. Underdog, underdog, underdog. Well, then I guess there's only one thing left to do. Win the whole fucking thing. This is the Underdogs Podcast. Jordan Brenner here with Tom Haverstrow, Peter Keating, producer extraordinaire Anthony Mays. We've got a great show lined up today. Peter seems to want to talk about hockey for some reason. We're going to let him, but only for a certain amount of time, and then we're going to cut him off. A true power play. We've got our NFL pick segment, as always, identifying underdogs, which I do better than anyone so far this season. Okay. Shout out oh, to me. God. Shout out to me. Title of my new book. But first, the noted underdog sport of college football actually has some underdog potential this year. So we thought, who better to discuss that and all the other underdog-related aspects of college football than the one and only Mike Golick Jr. That's Mike Golick Jr., friend of the program. We've been trying to get you on uh, to talk some football because we've got uh, lots of football underdog stories this uh, season, both in college football and the NFL. And let's not talk about Wake Forest. It was a bad, 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 bad week for my Deeks. Um, And we don't want to talk too much about the Notre Dame football season this year, but we do want to talk to you about Notre Dame football on the silver screen. Rudy, we'll get into that later in a little bit. Uh, But first of all, Welcome. And I love the DraftKings hat you got on. Thank you. Yes. Constantly repping for uh, the people that now sign my paycheck. Shout out to uh, Papa DK. But no, appreciate you guys having me, man. Excited to excited to be here. And yes, excited to get to talk about Notre Dame in a positive light because it's been such a mixed bag this season. Like we're not terrible, but we're not really fun for me to gloat about in public. And that had been what I had been doing for the last five years. So I've got a lot of people finally pulling up and getting their revenge on me for being such a jerk publicly for a while. Well, let's get right into it. This is the Underdogs Podcast. We spent a long time in the summer trying to identify unranked college football preseason underdogs who could crack the college football playoff mix. We found teams in the SEC, Mississippi State, Florida, LSU. None of them were named Tennessee. Yeah. So whoops. what happened there? What did we miss about Tennessee? Why are they so good? And what's going to happen from here on out? Yeah, so I, I think a lot of it, and and I was thinking back on this, and I went and looked. So in the SEC preseason media poll, 
Um, Alabama was the overwhelming or not the overwhelming, but they were the pick to win the conference. Georgia was next followed by Kentucky and then Texas A&M. And so in the East, you had two teams in front of them. I think it was so much about the branding of those other schools in the off season, right? Because Georgia and Alabama, the two consistent ones that have been at the top as of late here, Alabama is the easiest buy in college football. Georgia's the defending national champions. And then when you went down to that next crust of teams, Texas A&M was in the news more than anyone this offseason in college football. The Jimbo Fisher, Nick Saban beef was mana from heaven for us in March who were looking for things to fill time with. And then Kentucky's got Will Levis, who is a quarterback that's going to excite a lot of NFL people. We're going to hear a ton about him going into this spring because he fits the build. He's played in an offense. Now two offenses led by coordinators that have ties to the NFL and the McVay tree that's been so popular right now. Tennessee was kind of just good and not really loud about it. Last season, when Hendon Hooker took over, this team really started to change. You go back to when they played Pitt last year, and that was the game where Hendon Hooker got inserted to the lineup. They ended up losing that game, but you go out here and now all of a sudden there's this conversation, or I think I forget even what the outcome of that game was, but that was sort of the turning point of the season. And so you went into this offseason and Nothing really wild happened in an era where the portal and the NIL and all these things are so much the story. Tennessee was kind of just there loading up and charging into year two under Josh Heupel as the head coach. And they came into this season with, I think, as we've seen now, the purest form or maybe the most distilled down form of like the spread no huddle offense that we've seen in college football. They got the perfect quarterback for it and a bunch of other good stuff that we can talk about. But I think it's just because they didn't have anything sexy that grabbed us this off season. They were just getting better after really improving last season during the middle of the year. Yeah. There's a lot of winning the press conference that the Tennessee volunteers did not do. And you know what, as a fan, you don't want to win the press conference. Cause that wins you what nothing, nothing jets fans know this year after year. Um, so like Tennessee, what are their like high risk, high reward strategies that they've employed this year that we see in college basketball all the time where Cinderella's run through the tournament because they take a bunch of threes, they force turnovers, they try to play fast. What it, What is it about Tennessee that has surprised you or surprised college football with those strategies that they have employed that have led to them the number one team in the college football playoff ranking? Well, I, I think the fact that they're doing that system that you got to understand, like the spread hurry up system is designed to cover up for bad players. Like from high, this is a system that trickled up from high school. It's a bad player hack. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's, Hey, we're going to go fast because up front we struggle to block people. And because we believe that just getting you on your heels is going to be the way we overcome some athletic deficits, either around the field, we're going to put our best, like this was a high school strategy, put your best athlete at quarterback and then have him be able to just pace and space you to overcome the deficiencies. It's a lot easier to do that than it is to have to recruit a really good offensive line, have to go out and find truly dynamic skill players, all these different things. And so so this was designed to overcome that. And then you bring it to college and you start to be able to implement it in places where you see progressively better players getting involved. And so that's really, I think what set it apart this year is even in a year where you could argue their best receiver has been out in Cedric Tillman, 
Jalen Hyatt's emerged as a really potent receiving threat here. Their offensive line, while again, this is normally a system they use to cover up that, has actually done a really good job of moving people. Your quarterback in Hendon Hooker isn't just good, he's great at the helm and being able to do this because I say speed's supposed to kind of erase some of the things in the margins. You still need a quarterback who from the neck up can do a lot of quick math, can make split-second decisions based on a pre- and post-snap look, can get the ball out, can throw good touch on deep balls, which is probably one of the things Hendon Hooker does the best. And so I think the biggest shock for people is not just that, yeah, we've seen plenty of teams, even in the SEC, you look at Lane Kiffin's old Miss teams, you look at other teams that have come and gone along the way. There's plenty of people that have used this. Nick Saban was drawing attention to this years ago saying, is this what we want college football to be? This spread, hurry up, no huddle thing that was getting 90 plays a game in where you were seeing guys get upticks and injuries and all that. And then the game changed and Nick Saban and others evolved. Tennessee has now evolved it even further by going at such an unrelenting speed, but also doing it with really good players in the mix. Tennessee's obviously in the mix for a college football playoff. They went out they're They're a lock. There's one other undefeated team also unranked in the top 25 in the preseason that right now is on the outside looking in for the playoffs. And that's TCU. Now they have four wins over ranked teams. They're big 12 teams. So is that a Big 12 mirage? Is TCU legit? And what do they have to do in these last four games to crack the playoff mix as an underdog? Yeah, win out. So TCU is not a mirage. TCU is a good football team. Sonny Dykes knows what he's doing. I mean, you go and look at almost every stop that he's been at. And while Cal maybe didn't work out in the top end all the way, like was able to revitalize this SMU program that he was most recently at very quickly. And coming in over here, you know, they've got a uh, an advantage in that as far as an underdog, they've got a player who's decidedly not that. Quentin Johnston, their wide receiver, is going to be another one of those guys in the conversation for the top receiver or the top five receivers coming out in the draft this year. A unique field-bending weapon in their wide receiver room. Max Duggan, who's the quarterback now, wasn't even the guy that won the starting job coming out of the season. They had an injury in their first game, and now he's come and taken over, played a bunch of football, but is in a system that helps him out a ton. What they've got to do from here on out is just keep winning, right? The trajectory we're on right now, they're undefeated, so obviously inside track to uh, the uh, Big 12 title game. Kansas State's the other team that controls their own destiny. Kansas State's got two losses, but has been playing really good football lately, just boat race to Oklahoma State, who had been the other team inside the Big 12, had been a team that TCU won a really close game against. And so no, they've got a very legitimate shot. The Big 12 is unfortunately so deep with teams that are kind of in that range. The fear with them in the Pac-12 is always hey, you're at risk of cannibalizing yourselves before this. I know some people are going to feel some type of way about Bama being ranked above them, but I think Bama's a blue chip stock that's always easy to buy. I think at some point, even the committee's human beings, and they look and say, all right, if I watch those games, and I covered the TCU-Oklahoma State game, Max Duggan's a good, not great quarterback in a system that's giving him a lot of good opportunities here. Good O-line, good wide receiver, like we mentioned, versus Alabama that may not have as many gaudy weapons on the outside. Reigning Heisman Trophy winner, who's a legitimate number one overall pick conversation, best defensive player in college football. Like There are easy reasons to see why that team is so stuck in our craw because they've been so consistent and been so dependable when we've put faith in them. If your name is Sonny Dykes, do you have any other career path other than becoming a college football coach, particularly in the South or Midwest? And I think that was the problem with Cal. Like Berkeley can't have a coach named Sonny Dykes. It has to be like 
TCU. Yeah, you could have been a third baseman in the 1930s, right? The old Philadelphia Athletic, but 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 today, I think that's a valid question. No, mm. you really don't. It's a name tailor made to eventually be on the side of a car dealership in the greater Fort Worth area. <laughs> Drank a lot of Sunny D. <laughs> When he was a child, oh uh, that stuff now as a parent, like, where's it's that just, laugh track? <laughs> no, don't, don't. Yeah, there's the laugh track. The, the PK Hawk. Is this a pro or anti Sunny D podcast, by the way? Okay. Man, five year old me, pro, big time. Didn't Sunny D bail you out, or is it still like when you need a drink for your kid, like very often or not? You, you ever just grab a Sunny D because it's there because you stocked up on them just for that moment? I would say pro Mike. I feel like you're a pro sunny D. Yeah, I am very pro sunny D, but I am also a 33 year old toddler. (laughs) So I don't have responsibilities for other human beings in my life yet. So I'm allowed to pollute my body. Like I'm under no guise that it's a good thing I should be putting in me, but it's liquid nostalgia. And like you guys said, at some point in a world where you can get everything and listen, I love buying local, love finding stuff like that. It's nice to just know, Hey, when I crack this open, I'm getting the same brand of hyper sugar orange juice that I've been drinking since I was a kid. Right. Inflation has driven us back from Orangina yes. or or Athletic Ooh. Greens to, <laughs> to Sunny D. That is a sad comment. My God, that is my book title. From Athletic Greens to Sunny D, my devolving into absolute chaos. <laughs> the decline and fall of... <laughs> I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Before the season, Mike, we did an analysis, right? We investigated how many teams actually go from unranked preseason to getting into the playoff because our hypothesis was like the uh, NCAA football season is just basically preordained before the season. We know who's going to be good. We know who's going to be in the playoff. And it just it's it's a bunch of waste of time. And then we we get the Georgias and the Alabamas and the Clemsons into the playoff. But this year you see Tennessee doing it and another team back in 2012, a certain Notre Dame football squad pulled off that feat going from unranked 
to the playoff. Now, as a Notre Dame fighting Irishman who played on that team, who is a member of the Notre Dame fighting Irish, what was like, was there bulletin board material? Like, was there something preseason that coach Kelly was like, these people out here don't believe in us. Like they had a real Rudy moment in that locker room. Like, was there something, was there an anecdote in there? I think they said, if only we were better on the offensive line, (laughs) (laughs) right guard, total liability on that team. Um, You know, what is funny is looking back on it now. So Rick Riley used to write that last page article in sports illustrated back then. And it was one of my favorite things to read all the time. And before that season, Rick Riley, I believe was the one, and he was with a chorus of others, but one to put out there the, you know, is Notre Dame still relevant in college football line? And listen, understandably so. Notre Dame in my lifetime had not been good leading up to that. We had not. We had been a 500 football team my four years on campus leading up to that 2012 season. And it's not like that was bulletin board material because the things that went into that year, we were a mature team. Like we were in the third year with a new head coach in Brian Kelly. We were a really senior and fifth year senior laden team. We had a defense full of guys that would be like day one and two draft picks for the most part in the front seven. So a lot of that stuff had come together there along along the line of scrimmage especially but that was one of those things we filed away and at some point during that season because that was the line we went on the road and beat Michigan State that year and they were a ranked team we beat them by double digits that started there we beat Stanford at home on a goal line stand that people and you know those colors still really don't like to talk about we went on the road and beat Oklahoma which under Bob Stoops did not happen very often they didn't lose but maybe five home games six home games during his tenure and we went down there and put it on them and so the Notre Dame is relevant thing kept being becoming a thing. And at some point along the way, Rick Riley had made a promise that if Notre Dame went undefeated and made it to the, then the BCS title game, he would come and polish the helmets at Notre Dame. And so in that, you know, 40 days and 40 nights in between the last game of the season and the BCS title game, Rick came out to South Bend and with a bunch of us there, went in the back room, helped polish up the helmets on this, talked to a bunch of us. And so it was wait, wait, wait. We're going into some bad places in the back room, polishing helmets. Oh yeah, okay. yeah. No, I realize now oh, how. Oh how lord, yeah. Jordan, take another drink here, Sunny D. <laughs> Wait, so he comes. He comes in. Is this a little look at me, Louis? Is like he he re- he recognizes that he made a bad pick, but there's always upside when you make a bad pick. You can be at Notre Dame and polishing the helmets. That seems like a pretty cool gig. Bring the turtle wax and a camera crew to the car wash type of deal. You know? Yeah. Can I be like? Hey, if Alabama wins one more football game, I'm going to go stand on the sidelines there and eat barbecue. Like what? If Hawaii doesn't make a bowl game, <laughs> I'm going to take an all expenses paid trip to Honolulu <laughs> to help that team out. Yeah. If, if Wake Forest makes it to the Orange Bowl game, twist my arm, I will go down to Miami and go watch that game. Yes, I will do that. Wow. We've just trashed this whole, it was probably a nice charitable no. endeavor and we're just here trashing No, it. you guys are absolutely right. And see, at the time I was a dumb college kid. And so I'm here like, yeah, we showed you Rick before we got our asses whooped by Bama. Yeah, we showed you Rick, like come out here and, you know, polish up these football, polish these football helmets. I'm now going to put football in front of it because you perverts on here. (laughs) But no, now as a, now as someone who works around content, I do have to sit back and Marvel and go, 
Oh man, he gained that. Like he got great <laughs> access, got to do another piece, got to do interviews about who was then the number one team in the country. That was a chestnut checkers move from Rick. And it's why I love that column apparently. Cause he was sitting there gaming my peanut brain every week. So I've got a question about a Notre Dame player. I come from a small town on long Island, Melissa Joan Hart, who you may remember as Sabrina, the teenage witch is probably the most famous person ever from my hometown, but Jack Cones from my hometown of Sayville. And all of a sudden, there were people from my hometown taking buses to Wisconsin when he got to start there. He came to Notre Dame. I'm so interested in the phenomenon about how some athletes, as you watch them grow up from when they're very young, can be the most dominant thing you've ever seen at all these levels, right? And you're thinking, if anyone's ever going <clears> to <throat> be a superstar as a pro, it's going to be this guy. And then, you know, he gets to the Pittsburgh Pirates and he hits 193. Or, or Jack Cohn is, I think not, I think he's signed as a free agent with the Colts and is now not on anybody's roster. Um, what did you think of him as, this is just a personal question for me. What did you think of him as a player? And when he transferred to Notre Dame um, and then, you know, I guess acquired a reputation as more or less of a game manager. Um, just talk about what kind of funnel you're in when you're in that situation where you get right to that cusp, but then that's about as far as you're going to go. Yeah, man. As you go up, you learn the 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 cost of being a uh, a relatively mediocre athlete, and I can say that from personal experience, right? Because I went out and whooped <laughs> a bunch of kids' asses playing Connecticut high school football, and then I got to Notre Dame and realized, oh, this is pretty hard. And then you know, I got my you know sip of coffee trying to go around to camps in the NFL, and you very quickly see there's a baseline of athletic gifts. That's why the combine and these things people poo poo the meaning of that. It's just making sure you check the most baseline of athletic box because you need a certain amount of gifts to be able to play against the Sunday dudes. By and large, there are exceptions to every rule. And so for Jack, it's interesting because remember Jack was a lacrosse commit to Notre Dame before he ended up committing to Wisconsin. He was like a, I believe a two-way midi or at the very least a midfielder, which implies a certain amount of athleticism. And then you put on Jack's tape in college. That guy was a statue back there. He could move around some, but he wasn't going to dynamic his way out of any situation. I'll say this about Jack. No player has aged better year over year to me than Jack Cohn and what he brought to Notre Dame last year. Cause you look at some of Notre Dame struggles this season, they've been about maturity at key positions, right? You got a 36 year old first time head coach learning some things, does a ton of great stuff for you, but is learning and how to go about this as a head coach for the first time at an institution like this or any institution, you've got a backup quarterback. Who's the backup that came in for a young quarterback who was getting his first taste of being a starter this year. The rest of the roster to me is not all that different from what you had last year. The difference last year was you had a veteran head coach in Brian Kelly who helped get you through some of those things. And you had a veteran uh, quarterback in Jack Cohn who had a lot of ball under him and who came into the system and by the year's end was playing really good ball, spun it really well, stepped up in some really key situations on the road in Blacksburg at night, which even for that Virginia Tech team not being great and ending up making a coaching change at the end of the year, that's still a tough place to go play and win when you're down with a team that talent-wise isn't going to roll everyone off the ball. And I thought Jack really acquitted himself well. Smart player, put the ball in good places. And by the end of the year, by the time they got to bowl season, I thought was playing really good ball. And now this year, looking back on it as a Notre Dame fan, I don't think I truly appreciated how important Jack was and how fortunate we were to have a veteran player at that position, the way he afforded us. So a little more on this year before we get into some, some topics we want to pick your brain about, but right now you've got the five undefeated teams at the top of the, the playoff poll and then TCU. My question is this, if you root for chaos in college football, what could we be looking at 
if Tennessee, Georgia, one of those teams is going to have a loss after this week. Ohio State, Michigan, one of those teams is going to have a loss. Let's say TCU gets tripped up in one of these final Big 12 games. Maybe there's one more mistake here and there. Which of the teams with one or two losses could emerge in a chaos chaos situation besides Alabama? Take Alabama out of this. Who's kind of, who that's kind of off the radar right now could find themselves in a top four spot by the end of the year. Yeah. And so it's worth noting, right? Like we've had a team as low as 16 in the first college football playoff ranking, make it to the final, like Ohio state in the first year made that vault all the way up there. We've had in like the nine and seven range happen pretty consistently. So it is possible. Two teams is usually the hard line. We haven't had a two team team, two loss team make the playoff yet. And so LSU sitting there at 10 to me seems like something that's worth ignoring right now, as good as they are, because there's been a ceiling capped on two lost teams, even if they were to pull up the upset against Bama this week. Wait, wasn't LSU your preseason team, Tom? Yes, LSU was because Coach Kelly has done this before, right? Right. Gojo, like, right? Yeah. Like, this has happened before. Oh, th- He's yeah. turned around a team. No one believes in us. He was going to hit that over on the win total this season. Their over-under was like seven of wins this year. Brian's worth at least seven wins. Yes. Well, I'm kind of eyeing a 7-1 team that I may have identified before the season. Is it Oregon? Is it USC? No, no. My beloved North Carolina Tar Heels. <laughs> oh, no. no. I'm sorry. Oh, I, any any team, that oh. got, any team that got beat the way Notre Dame beat them on the road. And <laughs> defensive and offensive line-wise, they're just a non-compete. Drake May is incredible. And I kind of hope he transfers to a better team next year because it'd be really cool to watch him with a team mm. that can support him. Because he's getting... Heisman buzz now on a team that yes is currently seven and one but again I have just a hard time having watched the Notre Dame game taking that team seriously because when you have to play anyone who's built you know across the lines of scrimmage in a way that matters I don't see that going overly well no I think the interesting are the three one loss pack Pac-12 teams, right? That's that's got. If someone's going to emerge, would you say it's likely one of them? Yeah, they're the ones sitting there waiting in the wings. Now, I think Oregon. Right now, if you ask me who the best of that bunch is, I would probably rank Oregon at the top of that. I think they certainly listen for UCLA, who's been really good. Going out to play at Austin is tough. That being a road game, absolutely factored in. People don't like going up there and trying to play. It's a raucous environment. But Oregon's problem is going to be the other thing that's usually a non-starter for the CFP conversation. You can't go out and get your ass whooped. Like, you can have one loss. It can't look the way it did for Oregon against Georgia, even with week one. And so that's another thing where we're going to test precedent on that because I think Oregon's got a really good shot to be a one-loss team in range, potentially with a Pac-12 title. And remember, while they're still technically north and south this year, they're now having the two best teams just play in the Pac-12 title regardless of division affiliation. So you're going to have potentially another top 10, top 15 win in that 13th data point, which is a huge thing to consider in this landscape because that 13th game conference championships are supposed to matter. I always thought they should matter in so far as is who you're playing actually good. Clemson shouldn't get a lot of credit for beating up on the teams that come out of the coastal every year. But if you're Oregon playing USC in the PAC 12 title game, now all of a sudden we've got something that's worthwhile. Clemson at Notre Dame, their next game. Yeah, that's uh, Clemson only opened as like three and a half point, four point favorites in that game, which was surprising. I think a lot of people, Looking at that, Sarah, the Syracuse is a common opponent in back-to-back weeks, I think is ignoring the fact that Garrett Schrader, the starting quarterback, went down in the middle of that game against Notre Dame. They were coming off a Clemson game where they were physically beat up. They're a matchup that was perfect for Notre Dame. So uh, Clemson rightly favored in that one. I thought that would have been more around a touchdown. Do you guys actually think if we want maximum chaos and we're rooting for underdogs, 
Do we think that means TCU has to trip up or TCU just has to win out and make it? Is TCU making? Because right now, I mean, they're, they're, they're ranked behind Michigan, right? And of course, there's a couple of teams that have to lose. Michigan or Ohio State will have a loss. Tennessee or Georgia will have a loss. But do you think, T- so do you think TCU is just going to bump up on its own if it wins out? Is that enough chaos for us? Or do you want, no. TCU's, you want TCU to lose also and those teams to take one or two losses and another team further back to have to bubble up? Is that even possible into the top I four? I want people debating like a one-loss Clemson team against a one-loss Pac-12 team. Tulane is the answer to this. Tulane is the answer. Yes. A two-loss Alabama team. I want fistfights <laughs> on the air over a bunch of teams that aren't that good. Don't we want to avoid at all costs three SEC teams in the top four? Green wave. I mean, that's, I mean, Come on. That's, 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 that's what I'm rooting against. I'm just trying to figure out how to get there. Roll green wave. <laughs> <laughs> that's right, Coach. They're my favorite story in the top 25 now, by the way. Highest ranked group of five gets a New Year's six. But that team was two and 10 last year and spent the first month of their season on the road because of a hurricane that hit down in Louisiana. So they are a very easy group to root for. Love it. That's what the Underdogs podcast is about, is Tulane Green Wave in football crashing the playoff this year. I don't know if it's possible with one loss. Can they do it? But we've seen crazier things happen. All right. We need to talk about Rudy because I think when we started this program, this podcast, we were kind of thinking we would go into the kind of like the cinema. We did a we did a, a Broadway episode and Rudy is probably like if there is a movie that that is all about underdogs. Um, it's Rudy. Like Rudy is the movie and we have someone who's probably watched it. Um, what would you put the number over under how many times you've watched Rudy? Uh, I mean, we're like the, probably like the twenties or thirties. I'm not as bad. So one of my best friends, my roommate and the guy who played center next to me in college named Braxton cave grew up in like Granger, Indiana. So five minutes from Notre Dame's campus. And every weekend we found this out when we were all recruits together, every weekend before Notre Dame football would play, he would watch Rudy twice. He would watch it back to back (laughs) and then watch Notre Dame play actual football every weekend. Was the second episode like in Spanish or something? What was he picking no, up no. from the second viewing? Uh, multilingual, and he is not able to in, in, ingest that much. So no, but he I'll could see. he could rip off everything from that movie, every quote in his sleep. It was really impressive and also kind of wild. So la- last week in the Haberstroh household, my wife had never seen Swingers before, so we watched the movie Swingers. Um, we watch Monday night football. That's an underdog movie, right? Yeah. I mean, I mean the budget on that movie was probably like $16. Um, okay. So we watched swingers. We watched Monday night football and Vince Vaughn is on the show. And one of the segments on the Manning cast was about how Vince Vaughn, they needed to do a stunt double or they had to have a guy come in as Vince Vaughn is really stepping back to make the pass in the, at the end of the movie they had to do a stunt double to come in to actually look like a football player or actual quarterback. And Vince Vaughn was cut out from that scene, even though he was the guy, even though he he had a stunt double double have to come in to throw that pass, which brings me to my question. How old were you when you realized Vince Vaughn was in Rudy? It took me so long to go back and have that click. Like we might've been in like, 
I want to give myself enough credit and say it was pre-wedding crashers. It didn't take quite that long to go back and let that click in there. But it's one of those things that definitely feels lost to the sands of time until you get on campus there. That was the one part about the 12 and 0 season that was awesome is we had people that wanted to be around and Vince Vaughn was one of them. Like after the national championship, I am as dejected as I've ever been. I'm in the lobby of this hotel with my parents kind of talking through all that. And I just feel this pat on the back and it says hell of a season and it looks walking by and like in the middle of being as sad as I ever was, I looked at my parents goes, Oh damn, that's Vince Vaughn. (laughs) I was like, that's pretty cool. Like it. So stuff like that. Yeah. You definitely realize it, but it took me a lot longer than I was proud of. Would you have rather had Vince Vaughn with you at Notre Dame or been at USC with Will Ferrell? No, I'll take Vince Vaughn at Notre Dame. I think USC and, you know, Will, like you talk about the look at me, Louie, Will was in the spotlight a lot with them. Vince Vaughn, it was always really subtle, him being around there. Mm. You'd see him on the sideline. He walked through the locker room and shook one of my buddy's hands before one game and said, give him hell. And I thought my buddy was going to wet himself. Like it always (laughs) felt like it was just subtle enough with Vince. He didn't want to be the story. So you're extremely biased. Yes. Um, Arguably, um, you know, (laughs) in a damning way. But is Rudy the greatest underdog sports movie of all time? Yes, absolutely. I I, I don't even think what else would be the competition at this point? Rudy is literally every other sports movie. (laughs) I mean, they're all like, Uh, actually, are there any sports movies that aren't underdog stories? Can you think of one? Yeah, I guess that's a good question. Eight men out. But that's a true story. When we were kings is literally about. The two the two best guys yeah. fighting in the world. So you're taking Rudy over Rocky. Yes. You're taking Rudy over Hoosiers. Yeah, I've never seen Hoosiers, and I have no desire to watch a movie about white people <laughs> passing the basketball. Like, yeah, but isn't that Notre Dame football yeah, when Rudy yeah, was playing? Yeah. Uh, no, they were running. The they were running. Yeah, yeah, it's different. Hoosiers director and writer, I think, was the same one that did Rudy. <laughs> so it's kind of a, a Rudy cousin. Yeah. It, well, I mean, right. listen, and it's still Indiana sports. Like we're like when Long Island and yeah. Staten Island make fun of each other. Like it's like your yeah. cousin. Everyone on the outside, right. like, yeah. you guys right. look the same yeah. from this distance. What's going on? And of course, the greatest underdog story ever told: Major League. Oh sure, yeah, yeah. yeah. that's got to be up yeah. there. Well, what right. is what is what is the trope about Rudy that bothers you the most? Nothing. Rudy is perfect. He's no, here, well, right? no. I'm saying like the thing, the thing that y- when people complain about Rudy. Oh, the number one complaint is people that think they're original still showing up to college game day with the Rudy was offside <laughs> sign. <laughs> <laughs> we get it, guys. Wow, you're amazing. I simply had no idea. Like, spare me. For the love of God, spare me. <laughs> How long do you think you could go just talking in conversation in Rudy quotes before somebody would realize, like, you know, sit there and you're just like, you know, you were born to wear that jacket or, uh, you know, I'm a lapsed Catholic or we're going to go inside. We're going to go out. We're going to get him on the run. Like, it was. It, you could probably go on a good ten or fifteen minutes, right? What was that dude Braxton? Yeah, what was oh his name? Braxton, he would do that. We're <laughs> gonna we're gonna go inside out. Like he had that one down cold. That was his speech. My favorite is still, and it's my favorite part because when you have Rudy's relationship with the guy that works with the grounds crew at Notre Dame, and you find out he eventually played at Notre Dame, one, it's 
I think Rudy's best comp- uh, contribution to meme and gift culture, when you've got him doing the clap in the stands watching Rudy, that's the one that persists. But my favorite line is when he's talking to Rudy, and he's like, I thought you said, I said, I've never seen a game from the stands. And that's when you find out that he had been a player there <laughs> yeah. and he was right. super jilted and, and all of that stuff. So that's the one that always sticks out for me. Like that was my favorite moment in the movie outside of like his friend on fire, jumping off the thing in the steel mill, which was like insane to look back on too. just we, we didn't need that much pyrotechnics in that scene i like it when the coach says don't get caught watching the paint try oh yeah that's a that's a good that's a good one too there's a there's a bunch of good stuff like that i mean that's hoosiers yeah oh that is oh, oh, oh. <laughs> oh no i mean we have the paint in the tunnel there listen again like it's been a while i honestly i can't think of the last time i watched rudy which is also crazy to think about oh i don't it's been i probably watched it right when it came out i don't think I, i've seen it more than twice I don't remember all these things that people are referencing. I don't remember it. Wait, are you guys scared it wouldn't hold up? You, you believe in Rudy the legend more than Rudy the movie or when does it even take place again? 60s? No, Rudy. Uh, Rudy takes place in the 70s. My Uncle Bob was a oh. freshman on the team with the actual Rudy on it. So, oh, that's cool. Was Uncle Bob um, better on the Rudy team or in uh, Saved by the Bell, the college years. <laughs> I can tell you to this day, when people hear my last name, the first thing they ask about is Saved by the Bell. It is not wow. the fact that my Uncle Bob was a two-sport All-American and played 14 years in the NFL. Wasn't that my dad was a captain and played nine years and then was a part of Mike and Mike for two decades. It was, hey, is your uncle the RA from Saved by the Bell, the college years? I swear to God. What are the best Screech stories he shared over the years. Screech did come and do stand-up at Notre Dame when I was in college. One of our teammates, a running back, Jonas Gray, who had that awesome quick stretch with the the New England Patriots, also did stand-up comedy. And he was the opener for Screech and was markedly funnier. Like Screech was, I mean, again, I, you know, I, I understand it's kind of an awkward conversation, but Really, really dirty. It didn't play as well as he thought it was going to. I thought Jonas was funnier, but he came and played at CJ's in South Bend. So go figure. All right. I have a very selfish fantasy football question. I have Kyron Williams in my IR slot right here. Um, What is the scouting report, Golik? And should I think he's going to be, I don't know, the RB1 for for the Rams? Um, Hendo, not good. Akers, kind of MIA. Uh, Is this going to be the pickup of the year? Um, I would say no, just because the Rams offensive line isn't really there. Kyron's an awesome player can make chicken salad out of chicken. You know, what will be the best pass protector in that running back room. The minute he is back on the field, he is aces on that owns maybe the best game of running back pass protection I've ever seen in college, Notre Dame Clemson 2020. But uh, yeah, that offensive line is going to make it really hard. So uh, that's a tough one. Damn. Sorry, but go Irish. Guys, I have this horrible feeling that in six months, this podcast is going to be hosted by Mike Golick Jr. and Austin Eckler. And yeah. <laughs> we're going to be history. Think of the guests they'll be able to land. You know, like t- you know, Tim Brown will be here and stuff. And it's just going to be it's just being overshadowed week after week by guests who make us look like, you know, the underdogs that we are. Jordan, remember, no one, and I mean no one, comes into our house and pushes us around. Laugh track. Hey, that's uh, Mike Golick Jr. from the Gojo Show, which you can find on any podcast platform. Uh, Congratulations on your new DraftKings deal and 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 leaving the mother 
uh, Nest at ESPN, and we we applaud you for all the great things that you've done already uh, and continue to do. So uh, keep wearing that DK hat and wearing it proudly, even if it is super uncomfortable and feels like snakeskin sometimes. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Go Irish. Guys, I'm serious. I, I think Golik, along with Eckler, is, is coming for our jobs. Um, I am smarter and entertained from having spoken to him. But can they can they do a hot crease, though? Can they? Well, yeah, the segue was going to be smart and entertainment <laughs> to something maybe less than that. Peter, how's your hot crease? Oh, this ice is melting, baby. Feeling hot, hot, hot. Feeling hot, hot, hot. Feeling hot, hot, hot. Yes, in another desperate bid for relevance, I have put together some hockey data. Oh, yeah. As, as you guys would like me to say, that's right. It's time for some NHL advice. <laughs> we're a couple of weeks into the start of the season, uh, uh-huh. so we can combine a look at how teams are playing with how betting lines have shifted. And I got two Stanley Cup picks for you to demonstrate some real underdog value, okay? Um, look, everybody knows who the six or seven best teams in the league are. Yeah, everyone. Especially, (laughs) well, by that, I mean analytic systems that mostly agree with betting lines and with fans. And all 12 of them. Far be it from me to pick the Las Vegas Golden Knights, even though I think they're really well positioned because I don't want to get criticized again for picking an insufficiently underdogish underdog. So we're going further down to the Minnesota Wild at plus 2200 to win the cup. The Wild are the eighth, have the eighth highest chance to win the Stanley Cup, according to the Athletics Predictive Model, which I think is really solid, but they are down in the 12 to 15 range when it comes to betting lines at plus 2,200. This is a bet on two things. One is the Wild have a lot of depth, and if a couple of their young players get better, they could be really much better really fast. But even as constituted, they have Kirill Kiprasov, who scored 47 goals last year, 108 points since that was in his second season. Since he's joined the team, Minnesota has played at 112 point per season pace. They're a hundred point team. And we have talked about how the playoffs are a gigantic crapshoot. You want to get in. They are deep. They're well positioned to get in. And they have a superstar who's only getting better. When Kiprasov was on the ice last year, they scored 3.8 goals per 60 minutes That's not only really, really good, it's better than expected. And you might expect that to regress, except he's so great in transition. He's like one of those players like Patrick Kane, who actually converts scoring chances at a really exceptional rate in a sustainable way. Give me Minnesota at plus 2,200. Further down in the depths, as I like to say, the bowels of the ice. This is one of the most incredible numbers I have seen on a betting line since we have begun this program. The Washington Capitals are at plus 4,500. All right, let's think about this for two seconds, and you'll see why that is an incredible number to take advantage of right <laughs> Two seconds is all now. you have left, by the way, right okay, now. Okay, <laughs> well, look, the narrative on this team is that after finishing first or second 14 out of the past 15 years in their division, they got old last year, and they got wiped out in the first round of the playoffs. The playoff series they lost in the first round was to the team with the best regular season record in hockey, Florida, and the cumulative score of that series was 20 to 19. They caught a couple of bad breaks. They still have an extremely potent scoring core, of course, led by Alex Ovechkin, who even last year and what people were regarding as a down year took more than 330 shots, scored 50 goals. Um, they're going to they're always fine scoring. Here's the second thing. They're sneaky good 
on defense. Um, last year, the Capitals, believe it or not, allowed the sixth fewest shots in the entire league. Unfortunately for them, they had the 10th worst save percentage. Their goalies mm. took the nets, and instead of making them cold creases that stopped pucks with ice, they set the nets on freaking fire. Uh, Vanasek, uh, who was the other guy? Ilya Samansov. These guys are terrible. Irving. Oh, wait, what? Nets? Okay, go ahead. They yep. finally uh, shipped them out of town. They signed Darcy Kepner. Darcy Kepner was fourth in the league in goals saved above average, which adjusts your save percentage for the number of shots you face. If you take it a step further and look at goals saved above average versus expected goals saved above average, which adjusts for shot quality, basically the distance and the number of shots, he was fifth in the league. That's a real stat. Shosturkin and uh, Vas- uh, what's his name? It's Vasile- pronounced Turducken. Turducken and Vasilevsky were one and two in the league. Kepner was fifth, and he just won a Stanley Cup. They fixed their big problems. They got a great core of talent. Um, they lost on a couple of bad bounces in front of terrible goalies in the playoffs last year, and they're at plus forty five hundred. Come on, as Warner Wolf used to say, "Give me a break." What's up? Come on, come on. Speaking of come on, Minnesota, Washington, there you go. Your time is up. I had 90 seconds there up. But for any of you who are interested in this, please feel free to hit me up at Peter Keating NJ on Twitter. Please, please clap. Oh, well, now now the thousands of hockey fans. And that's (laughs) where the laugh track will come in. Yes. All right, let's move on. There's no need to fear a quaver. Underdog is here to save her. Underdog. It's time for the Underdog Underdog Football Contest picks. Maze, what are the standings as we head into week nine? Jordan, 18. Peter, 16. Uh, Tom, uh, ice cold, 12. Cold nets. Wait, Jordan, you're only two points ahead of me? I will say that we're coming off the worst week of underdogs uh, last week. Peter and I were the only ones to win a pick okay. and both just by the spread. Right. Those are only covers, too. The pan- I had the Panthers getting uh, four and a half against the Falcons. Thanks, thanks DJ Moore. Uh, that cost me a bonus point. Peter uh, narrowly squeaking by the Packers plus 11 against the Bills in a 10-point loss. We won't talk about uh, the other picks, but uh, guys, it's redemption time. And so I think Peter's up first this week. You want to rattle off the eligible games? Because we have some big spreads this week. We got Houston plus 14 hosting the Eagles on Thursday night. The Jets at home plus 12 and a half uh, with Buffalo. Washington plus three and a half um, at home against Minnesota. Chicago plus five against Miami. The Panthers coming off a horrifying finish against the Falcons are going to try to redeem themselves at Cincinnati plus seven and a half there. Um, the Falcons plus three and a half against the, the chargers, Detroit plus three and a half against green Bay, uh, the Colts plus five and a half at new England and then Tennessee plus 12 and a half at KC. Peter, go ahead with the first pick. All right. Going big. Trying to go long has helped us close the gap with Jordan. We're going to go big again. Uh, look, uh, teams that start the season 7-0 and straight up, as the Eagles have done, are only 36-47 against the spread over the past 20 years, 3-9 and against the spread since 2018. 
Uh, I think there is something to the fact that these are trap games, especially um, especially when the bright lights are on. Teams that are 7-0, and straight up or better, have failed to cover five games in a row when the games are on prime time at, uh, in prime time at night. They're 1-7-1 and over the last 10 years. Mm. Uh, this is the largest Thursday night football s- spread for a road favorite of all time. Give me Houston. Take the 14 against the Eagles. Davis Mills, even though his overall record has been horrible, has 9-9 nine and nine against the spread in his career. And Thursday night football has shown very little scoring. I mean... Since 2020, the under is 22 and 14. Uh, I don't think there's going to be all that many points. The Eagles have raced out to early leads. They're 7 and 0 against the first half spread, but Houston has shown, if anything, at least has some ability to throw the ball late and score some late points. I will actually take Davis Mills to throw a couple of second half touchdowns against the Eagles at this ginormous spread. I think you covered everything there. <laughs> Does that get the laugh track? Does that get the applause? Does that get derisive scorn? It's quiet. What's happening out Those there? Those are my Houston Texans, and I didn't actually have them in my top three on my big board. And oh. I'm just waiting for Jordan to take one of these three teams. Uh, that's a stay away from me on a Thursday night, um, Philadelphia team. But um, you know what? You've been kicking my ass recently, so I should shut up now. I was uh, I was strongly considering going in that direction as well. Although I do see that uh, on Thursday night games over the past ten seasons, underdogs with a uh, getting ten or more points are only four and seven against the spread, one and ten on the money line. So maybe there is something to that spread. Yeah, poor Jordan, but they're getting fourteen points because they're so good. <laughs> they are. They're outstanding. <laughs> I'm going back to an early well I established uh, back in the spring. I'm I'm not done with this team yet, and I am done with the team they're playing. So I'm going to take the Detroit Lions getting three and a half at home against the Packers. Oh! The Packers stink. Okay, they stink. And the Lions are feisty. They've got a good offense. Obviously, the biggest worry is that the Packers are going to be able to run the ball like crazy against that Lions-Swiss cheese defense. Oh, I, I, I'm getting word in my ear that the spread has moved to four. So the Lions getting four points, even better. Give me that team at home. Give me some Jared Goff, Amon Ross, St. Brown, DeAndre Swift, and the rest of the crew. A great offensive line. I do think the Packers will move the ball on the ground, but give me the Lions at home getting those points against a pretty mediocre team. What do you think about that trade that they made, the Lions? DJ Hawkinson? I mean, yeah. if you can get some draft capital for a tight end who isn't truly... I, I like Hawkinson, but he's not a true game changer, and they don't utilize him as one. Fine. They're, they're, they're not willing at going anywhere this year anyway. Make the move. Usually we're surprised, aren't we, by the kind of the low rounds of the draft picks sent packing for real star players. In this case, it's the reverse. I thought there was actually, they got back more than I expected. Well, they only moved up, right? Like, wasn't like moving from like a four to a three and like a, a three to a two, something like that. I don't know. We got double Tom picks. Let's go. Fellas, instead of vet the bet, I am going to vet the Jets here and say <laughs> it's time. For me to jump on that Jets bandwagon, baby. J-E-T-S plus 12 and a half at Buffalo. The Jets are four and one against the spread over their last five. They've been a great story this season. And I need to get back on to the big point 
uh, train. So I got, I need to get plus three here. I'm basically going with two big spreads jets plus 12 and a half at Buffalo and give me Tennessee plus 12 and a half at KC. It's at the end of the week. I get it. Tennessee with, um, not a great passing game. Uh, Kansas city just upgraded again with another trade. Uh, I don't think they're going to see dividends on that, uh, this week. So I'm okay with that. And I got Tennessee and the jets plus 12 and a half big spreads going to make up a lot of ground this week with six points. You heard it here first on the underdogs pod. I like it. True underdog strategy, high risk, high reward. Um, and I'm going to take the last, uh, team to give us the extra bonus point. Then I'm going with Carolina plus seven and a half at Cincinnati. Mm. Cincinnati obviously looked really bad against the Browns without Jamar chase. Panthers have shown some life in the last couple of weeks with PJ Walker at quarterback since Trading Christian McCaffrey, Deontay Foreman has jumped onto the scene. I think they can get a pass rush against that porous Cincinnati offensive line. And the key here is I'm getting more than a touchdown. I like that seven and a half look. It opens the backdoor cover option. So I will take the Carolina Panthers on the road against Cincinnati. Hmm. I've stunned you with my brilliance. What's going on? No, those make sense. It also removes the last team I thought was really worth picking off the uh, off of my list. Oh, so he's scrambling right now. That's what's happening. I am scrambling. By the way, I'll, I'll note here because we already we already busted open Pandora's box, ripped that seal off by saying uh, fantasy football early in the show. I had a fantasy football question. I did just trade for Christian McCaffrey now that he's left the Panthers. Um, but I also traded Dante Foreman, and so that is not looking so good for me. I traded him away, and he what he dropped like thirty points last week. But Christian McCaffrey, we'll see what happens after this bye week. Let's go, Peter. You're up. Okay, Chargers have been up and down. I think their stats are resembling a 500 team rather than a Super Bowl winning team. Justin Herbert has struggled in his career against the second half spread. San Diego's coming east. Los Angeles. I will take the Falcons in three and a half against San Diego. Los Angeles. You sound really excited about that. I'm sending that pick to Austin Eckler. And Jordan, as you're frowning, San Diego is two and five in the second half against the spread this year. Los Angeles. Oh, yeah. I don't even know what city they're in. That's how much. Uh, yeah. <laughs> there's, there's just no way I can take the Colts. Or the Bears. So, yeah, that's yeah. take my lack of enthusiasm for what it's worth. But look, whatever. We all know Atlanta's been a, a plucky team and they're fighting for the division lead. Give me the Falcons against, apparently, this team is now in Los Angeles, the Los yeah. Angeles Chargers. <laughs> Let's take the Atlanta Hawks against the San Diego yeah. Chargers. No, way would, to go. It'd be the, right, the San Diego Clippers. Yeah. Bring back the Clippers to San Diego. Let's go, Steve Ballmer. Yeah, and, and let's hope it's a 30-28 to 28 game with, you know, Eckler scoring four touchdowns. All right, well, that's it. I mean, Jordan, I feel like you have a safe lead here. I, I got I to make up some ground. Got to make up some points. So hopefully these big high-risk, high-reward strategies pay off. I think Jordan has a two-point lead, which is I did, wouldn't have thought was sufficient to give him as swollen a head as he demonstrated this week's show. Look, I don't have much to fall back on. Give me this. Give me this. This is the story of the one. 
As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.